Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. Well, welcome back. I'm Chris Shandro. I'm the pastor at Compass, and thank you, as always, for joining me. Now, I'm a parent, and just like all parents, we have rules in our home, and they're both for our kids, but really the rules are for our entire family. And each of those rules, it, it kind of highlights a value, something that's important to us. So we don't lie because we value trust in our family. Uh, we tell each other when we're going to take baths or showers because we value having hot water when it's our turn. But there is one rule that I have. There's this one command that I give more than any other. There's this one thing that I ask of my family and myself so often that if you asked me what our most important house rule is, this would be the first thing that comes to my mind. Now, let me, let me just show you what that is in a real life conversation that happened this week. It started like this. My daughter Cameron texted me saying, can I have a friend over on Friday? To which I responded, of course, followed by the number one command in our house. You just need to make sure the house is clean. To which Cameron replied, got it. To which I replied, like super clean. And then just to make sure she understood, I said, super clean. And just to be certain that I was clear, I said, you will not bring shame on this family with a messy house. To which Cameron replied, thanks dad, you are the best dad anyone could ever want. No one is as wise, caring, and as kind as you. People think you are attractive and funny. Hashtag best dad ever. Hashtag dad life. Now, while I may have taken some liberties, I may have exaggerated a hair what our conversation actually looked like. My number one rule and command in our house is actually totally clear. And it's just like you saw in that text thread. If people are coming over, the house will be clean. And this is not because I'm a clean freak. I am not a clean freak, okay? I'm perfectly comfortable with like a normal family's amount of clutter in the house. What I don't want is to be embarrassed for having a messy house when guests come over. So, I mean, the whole thing is really less about being clean than it is about my ego. Because honestly, if the mess all fit into a closet where no one could see it, I would be totally fine with that. I just will not be embarrassed by having a messy house when people come over. Now, whether it's at home or at work or at school, most of the environments that we live in, they have this at least one foundational rule that gets communicated more than any other rule. And, and we know what that thing is because that rule or that command is repeated more than any other thing. Think, we don't talk about Bruno, right? So today, as we are working our way through the book of Matthew, we find ourselves at the single command that is given more than any other command in the entirety of the Bible. It's the one thing that God tells his people to do more often than any other thing. So to get there, let's recap. Jesus is sending his disciples out on their own to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And in Matthew chapter 10, we find him preparing his disciples for the conflicts that they are going to face when they go out into the world. Internal conflict, relational conflict, violent conflict, physical conflict. I mean, check this out. Matthew 10, 17, we, we talked about this last week. Jesus said, but beware, for you will be handed over to the courts and you'll be flogged with whips in the synagogues. You'll stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. So last week, we talked about how these things that Jesus just described, 
literally happened. These things happened to the first Christians and to the first century church. They were arrested, they were beaten, they were put on trial, and all of it because they followed Jesus. But the conflict Jesus' followers will face goes beyond just dealing with the authorities. Because look at what Jesus warns the disciples about in Matthew 10, 21 through 23. He says this, A brother will betray his brother to death. A father will betray his own child. And children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. And all nations will hate you because you are my followers. But everyone who endures to the end will be saved. But when you are persecuted in one town, flee to the next. So Jesus told his disciples that not only are the authorities going to come after them, but their own family members were going to turn against them. That literally wherever they went, from town to town, that they would face persecution because of their faith in him. And if that sounds scary, it's because it was. Now, the Roman world that they lived in in the first century was very lenient towards other religions, as long as people in those other religions did one thing, acknowledge the authority of Rome and the authority of Caesar. Caesar is Lord. That was the Roman creed, that Caesar was Lord, that he was above all. Caesar was even eventually seen as divine, as a god. And calling Caesar Lord was both a religious and a political statement that asserted Roman power in the world. But then all of a sudden, these Christians start popping up, and they're saying that that Jesus is Lord, that there's only one true God and that it isn't Caesar. And so the, the ancient Jews hated Christians because they were blaspheming the Jewish faith. And then Rome hated Christians because their claim that Jesus is Lord was a direct affront to the Roman assertion that Caesar is Lord. And that's the world that Jesus was preparing his disciples to face. And he continues in verse 24 of Matthew 10. He says, students are not greater than their teacher and slaves are not greater than their master. Students are to be like their teacher and slaves are to be like their master. And since I, the master of the household, have been called the prince of demons, the members of my household will be called by even worse names. So Jesus in preparing his disciples, he's like, the things they think of me They will think of you, my followers, and the names they call me, they're going to call you. We talked about this a little while ago, but many of the religious Jews thought that Jesus was demon-possessed. And Jesus is like, you know, if if they think I'm the prince of demons, you guys are going to get it even worse. Now, imagine hearing all of this. Imagine what the disciples must have been feeling. I mean... Up until now, I mean, these guys were just Jesus' chosen ones, right? They were, his, they were his bros. They saw miracles. Jesus even gave them the power and authority to do miracles themselves. But after all of that great stuff, Jesus is like, okay, guys, now it's time for the bad news. If I were one of the disciples, I would honestly be scared. If Jesus told me directly that I'm going to be arrested, beaten, that I'm going to stand trial, that I'm going to be called the devil, And that I'm going to be betrayed by my own family and opposed by the entire Roman government. I might reconsider the choices I'm making for a second. Because that's scary stuff. And we need to understand how serious and scary that stuff was to feel the weight of what the disciples were facing. If we are also going to understand the weight 
of this one command that God gave his people in the Bible more than any other command. Because this is the context in which Jesus gave that same command to his disciples. And here it is. Here's the command given more than any other command in all of the Bible. In Matthew 10, 26. But don't be afraid of those who threaten you. For the time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed and all that is secret will be made known to all. And what I tell you now in the darkness, shout abroad when daybreak comes. What I whisper in your ear, shout from the housetops for all to hear. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. So what command did God give more than any other? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It wasn't don't drink, don't cuss, don't do drugs, don't have sex, don't watch R-rated movies, you know, don't wear a bikini. The, the greatest command, the command that God gave more than anything other was don't be afraid. Of all the things God didn't want his people to do, the one thing he told them to avoid the most was fear. But why that? And, and what, does that, what does that even mean? What does that mean for us? That I shouldn't be afraid of scary movies or spiders or the, you know, the Five Nights at Freddy jump scare videos that my kids make me watch? Well, Jesus continues in Matthew 10, 28 in the, in the New International Version. He says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So that's a big complicated statement. So check this out. In, in Jesus's world, we talked about this a little bit, there was one enemy, only one that could enforce its will on you through pain and physical suffering. And that enemy was Rome. He, Jesus has just spent the last 10 verses telling his disciples about the conflict that they were going to face and all the bad things that were going to happen to them. The, the torture, the imprisonment, the betrayal. And after describing all that, he's like, that sounds really bad, right? But don't be scared of any of that stuff. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. Now, I want to stop here for a second, <clears throat> because as we just saw, the, the New International Version of the Bible capitalizes the, the word one in this verse to give the idea that the one Jesus is talking about is God. As if Jesus is saying, you should be more afraid of God than people because God can destroy your body and your soul in hell. And the New Living Translation, which is the translation I use the most, it actually says this. It says, fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And there are a lot of Bible scholars and theologians who believe that Jesus is saying just that. That if you are considering giving up on Jesus because you are afraid of physical suffering that you might face, just think about how much more afraid you should be of God who can make you suffer both physically and spiritually. Be afraid of God. Now, I've always had a fundamental problem with this idea. How could God say, don't be afraid more than any other commandment, and then say, oh, but also be afraid, but just of me? I mean, all throughout scripture, God is described as a loving, caring creator and sustainer of life who we can put our trust and put our faith in. He's not... He's not some guy with a big stick who's just waiting to whack us anytime we step out of line. Is that the God that we should be afraid of? Or is Jesus saying we should be afraid of God so that our fear causes us to live in such a way that God won't destroy us in hell? 
And I don't think either of those things accurately explain it. Instead, when Jesus talks about who the disciples should really fear, I think Jesus is trying to show the disciples who their real enemy is. And the real enemy is is not a person or government that can destroy our body, like Rome, but it's instead the spiritual forces that can destroy our souls. Because in spite of all the ways that Rome could hurt the first century church, they were not the real enemy. The apostle Paul put it this way in Ephesians 6, 12, and he says this, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. See, in spite of the fact that the conflict that we face with real people may have real world consequences in our lives, just like it did in the disciples' lives, other people are not our enemies. We're not fighting against people, against flesh and blood. We are pushing back against the spiritual forces of evil and sin that separate human beings from God and cause the brokenness and the pain and the darkness that we see expressed in all of creation. We've had against spiritual forces that can damage and destroy our souls. Now, the people who oppose us, they may look like the enemy, but they aren't. We're in a spiritual battle. And Jesus is telling his disciples that they are actually up against something bigger and more dangerous than just people. They're up against something that's more destructive than Rome. They're up against the very evil that is corrupting all of humankind and all of creation. Now, I don't know about you, but that would probably freak me out a little. Jesus said, don't be afraid of those who can hurt your body. And the disciples were probably like, oh, thanks for the encouragement, Jesus. I appreciate it. And then Jesus is like, yeah, don't be afraid of those guys. But be afraid of the one who can destroy your soul in hell. That would actually have the opposite result on me. That would make me more afraid. But I think Jesus is setting something up here. And we can see what he's setting up in what he says next in Matthew 10, verse 29. He says, what is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin, but not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. And he says it again, don't be afraid. It's like Jesus is saying this. He's saying, look, it's bad out there. Bad people are going to to do bad things to you for following me. And what you're facing, it's even bigger than you realize. But in spite of all of that, you don't have to be afraid. It's almost as if Jesus wanted the disciples to know and fully grasp the enormity of what they were facing. So they could also see the enormity of how much God loves them and will take care of them. Because if God knows when a single sparrow falls to the ground, that means he knows what you are facing. And he's got you in his hands. He cares about the smallest details of your life, enough to know how many hairs you have on your head, or in my case, how few hairs you have on your head. And if he cares about details that small, 
how much more will he care about the big things? And this echoes what Jesus already taught in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 26. He said, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns because your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Jesus is like, birds don't have to be afraid or worry about their lives. And you are so much more valuable to God than a bird. So you don't have to be afraid. I realize that there is so much to be scared of in our world right now. COVID pandemics, war, gun violence, xenophobia and racism, climate change, economic catastrophe, and on top of that, this seemingly seeming collapse of our ability to even work together to solve any of those problems. Things are scary. But like the disciples, Jesus is sending us into the world as his representatives to bring redemption, reconciliation, and restoration into each of those insurmountable areas of life. And just like the disciples, it's easy for us to be afraid because those things seem like they're gonna destroy us. But God's telling us, don't be afraid. I know the smallest details of your life and you are the most valuable thing to me in all the world. We are being sent out to affect kingdom change in the physical and spiritual realms of our world, just like the disciples were. And just like them, the conflict that we face is massive. But in spite of the scope of what we're facing, Jesus is whispering to each and every one of us, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I see you. I love you. And I've got you. So what are you afraid of? Are you afraid of the conflict that's in our world? You know, the racial, the economic, political, and military turmoil that we see on the news every day? Are you afraid of a God who you think is sending people to hell because he's so angry? Are you afraid because the Sunday school faith that you've held on to, it seems too small for the grown-up problems that you're now facing in life? Or are you afraid that you won't measure up to God's expectations of you? Or that his people in the church will reject you because of who you are or what you've done? There's a lot to be scared of. And I don't have all the answers for you. And you may never know them either. But I do know this, that in spite of all your fears and in spite of their implications for your life, when you lean into Jesus, you don't have to be afraid anymore. None of those big scary things may change, but your perspective on them will. Because you are supremely valuable to the God who is greater than anything that we could be afraid of. You mean everything to him. And he cares about the smallest details of your life. And whatever you face, however big, however terrifying, don't be afraid. Because God's promise to you is this, you will never face it alone. Jesus also said this in Matthew 6, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He said, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness. And if you do, I will take care of everything you need. The opposite of being afraid is faith in God. And our faith in him is so important to him that he wanted to make sure he told us over and over again in his word, 
in his word to not be afraid. So lean into Jesus today. Put your faith and your trust in him, which is the opposite of fear. And see what God can do in your heart, in your life, and in our world as we fearlessly, like the disciples, are sent out into all of those areas of life, the things that are causing so much fear for us and others. And we bring the reconciliation and the restoration of Jesus and of his kingdom into our world. I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com. 